Let's bow in prayer together. Heavenly Father, as we come to open the Word, we pray that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher and would apply this Word to all of our lives. That we may see who You are and see who we are. In the light of Your Word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing today in the series, Wonderful Counselor, looking at uh, the wonderful counselor in his counseling sessions with various people as recorded in the Bible. We're now in the New Testament and dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ himself in his encounter with the woman caught in the act of adultery. He deals in this passage not only with her, uh, but also with her accusers. Having been a pastoral counselor for many decades, there have been many occasions when I have had to deal with adulterers and accusers. They often come to me together. They are usually married to each other. And someone has been caught. Maybe the husband has been caught watching porn on his computer. Uh, Perhaps the wife has been caught in a relationship with someone other than her husband. But usually there is a caught one and an accusing one. Usually an accuser and an adulterer come together. And they come for counsel. Sometimes they want permission for a divorce. Sometimes they do want reconciliation. Sometimes one wants reconciliation and the other one does not. One of the most challenging kinds of counseling sessions. The Lord Jesus has a unique situation. He's just going about his business teaching people about God. And early in the morning, people have eagerly gathered on the Temple Mount in the open areas. Probably he would stand by a column and they would gather around and listen to Jesus because no one ever spoke like he spoke. They loved to hear him speak. And he's teaching them about God. And all of a sudden there's a commotion. And we see these religious leaders dragging a half-clothed woman into the very center of this very beautiful gathering. They throw her down. They're still holding on to her lest she runs away. She's ashamed and embarrassed. And they set Jesus up. They think, finally, we've got him. Because no matter what he says, he's in trouble. Moses said, such women should be stoned. Jesus, what do you say? And he diddles with his phone. No, he doesn't. He writes on the ground. He stoops down. Writes on the ground says nothing. They keep asking him. They really want to get his answer because if he says 
go ahead and stone her, they can report him to the Roman authorities because the Roman authorities held the right for capital punishment and they carried it out, but they didn't want this Jewish occupied nation doing that. They could get him in trouble with the Romans. But if he said, don't stone her, then they could accuse him of being against Moses and being against the law and not being a good Jew. They figured, we've got him. What critics, what accusers they were. And sadly enough today, it seems as though among Christendom, uh, among churches and people that call themselves Christians, we have two sides today. We have some legalistic types who just want to accuse and condemn, and their Christianity lifts them up so they can look down on everybody else. They've given Christianity a bad name judgmental, condemning, accusatory, they think they're better than I am kind of attitude. On the other hand, there are many Christians who say, well, that whole adultery thing, that was like so centuries ago, you know? I mean, we live in a new world. Uh, You know, why would we be down on that? Let's just understand and accept one another And there's all kinds of new lifestyles, and let's just accept that. And we find ourselves as believers on the horns of a dilemma too, because if we stand up for what is right, we're accused of being legalists. And if we are merciful and gracious and kind, we're a bunch of liberals. How do you sort this all out? And more importantly, how do you deal with your relatives and family members and loved ones who are in all kinds of places on this issue? Whenever I find myself in a dilemma, in a confusing issue, I always like to go to Jesus and see how he dealt with it. Because he is the wonderful counselor. So let's take a look at this text and see how He dealt with it. We're going to look at it in three parts. If you like outlines, I've got three T's for you today. The trap, the trial, and the triumph. First, we we look at the trap here. They caught this woman. They brought her. They set her before Jesus and that crowd. And they sentenced her to death. They were judge, jury, and wanted to be her executioners. Eh, What happened to the man, we don't know, which is always an interesting part of this story. If they caught her in the very act, where was the guy? But in those days, women did not have the rights that, that women have today. Christianity has been a great help to the position of women in the world. But this is a very patriarchal society, and so they've They've caught the bad woman and they've caught her and brought her to the feet of Jesus. And they had a, it seemed like they had a pretty strong legal case. It it seems like an open and shut case. They've got witnesses, they're ready for the stoning. And Moses did prohibit adultery, Exodus 20:14, part of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. 
What part of thou shalt not do you not understand? Okay? It was pretty clear. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Leviticus 20, verse 10. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. It was a capital offense in ancient Israel carried out by the community. It's interesting, in Proverbs 6, we have the advice that a father gives to his son. How many of you dads have had a good talk with your son about sex? Well, here's the talk that you should have according to Proverbs 6. For the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, that's a Bible word for a person who is paid for sexual things. I believe we live in a nation of harlots, men and women, people who are paid to be sexual. What a sad world for children to grow up in where our entertainment is so pervasively dominated by harlot men and women. A man is reduced to a crust of bread. An adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes be not burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? He says adultery is like fire. And when you get involved in adultery, you are playing with fire. How many of you ever played with fire? I remember I did. We, well, it was fireworks, actually. And uh, my friend, his dad was a policeman, and so whenever his dad would seize fireworks from kids that shouldn't have them, he would give them to his son. And so we always had, we had firecrackers, we had cherry bombs, we had those little TNT things. You remember? You probably weren't involved in that. But I remember one time I'd gotten a cherry bomb. My parents happened to be away. And I had learned that you could, with firecrackers, you could light them and then snuff them out. You know, it was kind of fun. You know, you'd light it and then snuff it out. So I thought, well, I can do that with a cherry bomb. What I didn't know is that cherry bombs have an underwater fuse, okay? You can't snuff them out. So I lit the cherry bomb in my dad's office, <laughs> and, uh, which is in the basement of our house. And I went to snuff it out, and it, it didn't snuff. It just kept on sizzling. It kept on going. So I dropped it, ran in the other room, and boom! The boom was not the bad parts. My parents weren't home. It was the smoke that was the bad part. So I opened all the doors, all the windows. I tried to get the smoke out. As soon as my parents walked in, they were like, someone on fire in here? And the worst part of it, it had blown a hole in my dad's rug. And I rearranged the furniture, you know? Uh, but it didn't work. It didn't work. Hmm. Yeah. Can a man take fire in his bosom and he not be, his clothes not be burned? You're playing with fire. You can play with fire, but I'll tell you what, things will happen that you never planned on. Things will happen that you did not desire to happen. 
people usually think, well, I'll go this far, but I won't go that far. Everybody's got their limits, you know. They say, I'm just going to go this far, but I'd never do that. But I'll just do this. This is safe. He says, you're playing with fire. It will very easily get out of control. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Wounds and dishonor he will get. David, King David, learned that the hard way. I mean, he already had a bunch of wives. Sometimes people think, well, it's probably because they don't have a good marriage. That's why he was doing that or she was doing that. He had a bunch of wives. I mean, he had a whole harem full of women. But the fact was that he saw one over there from the roof of his palace and he wanted her. Sin has a way of multiplying and So he takes Bathsheba, and she reports that she's pregnant. So he tries to cover it up. That doesn't work. And then he ends up using warfare to kill Uriah, her husband. When Nathan the prophet finally comes to him and tells him a convicting story, he is told, yes, the Lord will forgive your sin, because David did repent, confess. But there were consequences in his life and family that continued on. Wounds and dishonor you will get. There will be consequences. Sin will take you farther and cost you more than you ever planned on. And especially this sin of adultery. What did Jesus say? Matthew 5, 27, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus said this is a matter of the eyes and the heart. You say, well, I've never actually, actually committed adultery. Jesus says, if your heart and your eyes have committed adultery, you are an adulterer at heart and are guilty before God. The Apostle Peter speaks in 2 Peter 2.14 of those who have eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. I've often had to especially counsel men who were addicted to pornography. Jesus has a word for men addicted to pornography, and now so many women are as well. If your eye offends you, if your eye causes you to sin, what did Jesus say to do with it? Yeah, stick your finger back in there, get behind it, and pop it out. That's not good for your eye, is it, doctor? No. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into heaven without an eye or a hand than to go into hell fire. That's what Jesus said. Some people think America is a Christian nation. It may appear so on the surface with so many people claiming to be parts of churches and claiming so much faith in Christianity. But I'll tell you what, you lift up that rock and there's a lot of creepy crawly things underneath. It is an adulterous, pornographic, harlotry nation to such an extent. And it's in the church too, and it's in us. 
We are human. And we find ourselves drawn away from God, away from faithfulness, into lust and adultery. We have adulterous hearts. Jesus bored into this even more. This is really getting convicting here, folks. Mark 10, 11. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Luke 16, 18. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. You say, Pastor, you don't agree with that, do you? I just read to you the words of Jesus in the Bible. You say, well, nobody goes by that anymore. Well, maybe that's our problem, folks. We've gotten away from this. I'll tell you what, God's law is tougher, more severe, and condemning than you can ever imagine. And God's grace is more warm and full and, and good than you can ever conceive of. And yet so many people try to live in that in-between place. <laughs> I'm not so bad and I don't need God that much, just a little bit. No, the fact is that we are all condemned and guilty before God's law. We all fall short. We all need a Savior. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Oh, there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow you may be today. Yeah, God's tough. Galatians 5.19, Paul says, the works of the flesh are evident, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Imagine how that woman caught in adultery felt that day. Trapped by the sin of adultery and now caught and publicly accused in front of her whole community. You know, the devil's really nasty. You know that? He's our enemy. He's so nasty. He will dangle all kinds of temptations in front of you. And he's been at this for thousands of years. He knows what kind of bait you like. Yeah, he does. He knows exactly. He tailors the bait to our desires. And he dangles that bait in front of you and he tempts you. And then when you bite it, he blames you. He accuses you. Makes you feel rotten. That's how the devil operates. He tempts and then he accuses us. And then we feel rotten and we feel terrible and so we escape into all kinds of things. Drugs, alcohol, pleasures, entertainments, distractions, material possessions. We try to somehow deal with these things in ways that, that don't solve the problem. Only the Lord can help us. They tried to trap the Lord. 
They questioned him. They tested him. They searched for something of which to accuse him. They continued to question him. But these men were adulterous critics. Book of Romans makes it very clear that when we are critics of others, we might as well carry a sign that says, I have unresolved guilt problems, and the way I live with myself is by finding fault with others. You know, I basically learned what I know about North Carolina by watching Andy Griffith. Barney and Andy are such clear illustrations of this because Barney is as legalistic and critical and judge. I mean, he arrests his mother. You know what I mean? And, and he is like, by the book, it's all law. You know, he's all law. And then Andy is like all grace. You know? Remember that one where Barney was singing in the choir and, and, and somebody was off key? And he volunteered to move around in the choir, to try to really find out who it was. And of course, it was Barney, you know? And then they put him on that microphone where they just kept quieting it down, you know? Yeah. We're so easily like Barney, you know? We want to find fault with others. You find a critical person, you find a person with unresolved guilt issues. The only one who can solve our guilty issues is Jesus by his cross blood. That's how guilt is solved. You come to the cross. You come to Jesus. He forgives you. With his blood, he cleanses you. He forgives you. He gives you his righteousness. And then he, he helps you to be a gracious person too to be more of an Andy than a Barney, which I think is a wise thing for us as Christians. Jesus is often criticized. This text was actually removed from some Bibles. Some ancient texts do not have the story, and they have like blank places there. Some, have, some ancient writers say that it's because the early church didn't like that story because they thought Jesus was too easy on a sinner. I'll tell you, Jesus is more easy on sinners than you can ever imagine. He sums it all up when he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. What a beautiful picture of God's righteous grace. The just one and yet the justifier of him who believes in Jesus. The scribes and Pharisees here, They were not doing this in order to clean up the morals of their community. They were seeking to trap Jesus. When somebody comes to you with an accusation against someone, it's always good to ask them why they're telling you. Why are you telling me this? Sometimes people come to the pastor and say, did you know? I like to say, so why are you telling me this? Did you confront them? Do you want me to help you confront them? Do you want me to help you restore them? Oh no, I just wanted you to know. Okay, be careful about that. We live in a tabloid world, don't we? We live in a world where people are doing all kinds of awful things every day, and we love it when some prominent person gets caught. Amen? I mean, it'll be right there at Walmart, you know, to check out. I know you don't buy those things, you don't read those things, but you see the cover. You know what I'm saying? Oh, who's this about? What's going on with that person? We live in such a judgmental, evil, tabloid world. Yes, so the woman in Jesus, 
trapped by the accusers. And they try to put Jesus on trial. Ah, but Jesus turns the tables. He puts them on trial. Yeah, what was he writing in, 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 in the ground? You know what the, the answer is? I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because the Bible doesn't tell us. But it opens our thinking to some things. I was thinking, Jesus is never recorded as having written anything in the Gospels other than this instance. But I thought about that time in the Old Testament when Moses went up on the mountain and he brought down the Ten Commandments and he, went, he came down, oh, Aaron, he had built the golden calf and had them all dancing around it. It was going crazy down there. They had broken the Ten Commandments already, involved in idolatry and immorality. And he comes down and he, and he breaks the Ten Commandments because they had broken God's Ten Commandments right off the bat. Then he goes up on the mountain and God, with his own finger, writes him again with his own finger. And then they put the tables of the law beneath the blood-stained Ark of the Covenant lid, the, the mercy seat. And now God, the holy God, looks down and he does not see the broken law because the blood is on the mercy seat, pointing to the ultimate Lamb of God, the one who would come and die for the sins of the world. I think of another time in the book of Daniel when God did some writing with his own hand. You remember that? On the wall of the palace, you are weighed in the balance and found wanting. I don't know what Jesus wrote there, but it was used by the Holy Spirit of God to convict the accusers. The scribes and Pharisees went out one by one from the oldest to the youngest. Well, that's because old people have more sense. Amen? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why the oldest ones went out first. I don't know what Jesus wrote. But I know that because of what God wrote in this book, I have had to go out. I've had to say, I cannot accuse others. I myself am accused by this book. God has condemned me by this book, and God has saved me by this book. And so the writings of God himself are what God uses to bring conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so the accusing judge, jury, and executioners, they disappear one by one when Jesus says, go ahead. You want to go by the law? Let's do the whole law. The witnesses have to be the first ones to throw the stone. So he who is out without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. Jesus also said it this way, he said, if you will set out to take a moat out of somebody else's eye, first take the beam out of your eye, then you can see clearly to take the moat out of your brother's eye. Do you realize that helping other people with their sin problems is eye surgery? Who would you choose to do your eye surgery? I'd probably be saying to the surgeon, so how many times have you done this? Where'd you go to school? 
Oh, what grade did you get? You know, how'd you do? I want to know who's going to be working on my eyes. Eyes are very important things. Take the beam out of your own eye. The Bible tells us, ye who are spiritual, restore such and one. If you want to help people be restored to God because of sin in their lives, make sure that you have let Dr. Jesus operate on you first. Amen? And you're right with God. You have dealt with the sin in your life through Psalm 51 as David did or 1 John 1.9 as we do as New Testament believers. We have confessed our sins. We are walking in fellowship with God. We have nothing between my soul and the Savior. And so we are now in touch with God. We can be of help to someone else in getting them set right with God. He who is without sin cast the first stone. Well, we find that uh, they went out one by one. And then we see the ultimate triumph. Verse 11, uh, verse 10, uh, Jesus says, uh, where are your accusers? there's, There's not any, none, no one, Lord. And then he says the words of grace to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And I love verse 12 where Jesus next says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Dr. Jesus uses the light that he is to shine into the lives of all those around him. The light of His holiness shines upon the scribes and Pharisees and they go scurrying for cover. When I was in college, my job during the school year was to work in the dish room. Anybody ever wash dishes? Yeah. And I, I, I was working in the dish room. And it was in inner city Philadelphia. The old YMCA it was a very old building. And I'm sure they had really good standards and everything else. But I know when I turned the lights on, the cockroaches scattered. Because that was, they liked whatever we were cleaning off of those dishes, I guess. I don't know, I just remember that. The, the light caused them to scatter. I often thought about the fact if what if sometime I turned the light on, they came at me, you know? I was like always one. I was so glad that they had that fear of man, you know? And they, and they took off. And that's kind of how these accusers take off. Like cockroaches, when the light comes, they scatter. Do you realize if you are walking in the light, you are a safe person who's walking in fellowship with God, your very presence in your place of business, in your neighborhood, in your family is a light. And you will find that people will sometimes not want to be around you. And a dear friend of mine, his wife told me one morning he came to breakfast and They'd been having trouble between the two of them. There was some kind of problem. She didn't really know what it was. And she said, you need to go see Pastor Peters. You need to talk to him. He and I had been hunting buddies and ping pong buddies and all kinds of things. And uh, she, you need to go talk to Pastor Peters and tell him what's going on and get some help. Pete went downstairs and put a gun in his mouth and blew his head off. Never gotten over that. I thought, why didn't he come see me? 
Why didn't he come see me? I don't know. There was something in Pete's life that he didn't want to meet the light of day. But I'll tell you what. God's grace is more sufficient. No matter what your sin is, no matter how shameful or dark or difficult it is to face, bring it into the light. And when you bring it into the light, you will see that the blood of Christ can wash the darkest stain away. He can cleanse you from the guilt of your sin and He can give you a fresh start. This lady got a fresh start. Go and sin no more. And and you wonder, did she? Did she go and sin no more? I believe she did. You say, well, did she join a 12-step group? I mean, what did she do? Did she go to a rehab? You know, what did she do? I believe that Jesus' word has power in it. And if you hear his word and do whatever he tells you to do, you will have the grace to overcome besetting sins in your life and to replace that with purity and holiness. God's word is his enablement. And when you act upon what he tells you to do, he will give you the grace to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. He is truly the light of the world. He says to all who were in Christ, what Paul writes in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who were in Christ Jesus. When you are in Christ, you are under the blood. You admit freely that you have broken God's laws. You have broken God's laws with your eyes, with your heart, with your hands. You have sinned And yet, you are cleansed. And you are given a new life. A life with the power to overcome sin and to live for God. How gracious God is. There's a wonderful story in the Old Testament, book of Hosea. Hosea married a bad woman. She was an adulterous woman. She became a prostitute. She became a slave prostitute and uh, after all she had done to shame and humiliate and hurt her husband he saw her on a slave market one day being auctioned off and he started bidding on her and he bought her back and he brought her to his house And he spoke comfortably to her and he loved her and he graciously restored her. You say, what a love story. Yes. And you know who who you and I are in that story? We're not the prophet Hosea. That's God's part. We're Gomer, not Gomer Pyle. That's another whole show. (laughs) Has nothing to do with this story, okay? No, Gomer, a woman named Gomer in the Bible and she was so wicked and evil, and yet her husband brought her back. He owned her by marriage and now by redemption. And so we, who have been adulterers in eye and heart, have now been restored. We've been bought back with the blood of Jesus and brought into His family. We've been made part of His bride. We wear the right dress of His righteousness granted to us. 
through his shed blood. And we now have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, who has washed us clean and who continually washes us clean by his blood. Yes, his light shows us our sin and the light of his word shows us his grace. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He showed his love by confronting the scribes and Pharisees with their hypocrisy. He showed his love for the woman caught in adultery by refusing to condemn her and exhorting her to go and sin no more. We know John 3.16, but John 3.17 is good too, isn't it? God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we want to thank you for shining the light on our lives, showing us up for the sinners that we are, but then also shining that light on your cross where you suffered for our sins, where you died for our sins, where you bled for our sins, and you bought us back from the slave market of sin and have placed us in your family by grace. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. I pray for any here today who have never trusted in Christ, who are still trying to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted to the righteousness of God. I pray, Lord, that you would work in hearts, bring conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and bring people to believe in Jesus who died for our sins and rose again from the dead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My prayer today is a little different. It comes from a favorite line of mine from the first song we sang today. So if you'll join me in it and listen to the words. Frail as summer's flower, we flourish. Blows the wind, and it is gone. But while mortals rise and perish, God endures, unchanging on. Amen. And Lord, we do pray for Fran and Judy Smith. You have said, beautiful are the feet that carry the gospel. And we do pray for their feet, that you guide and direct them and keep them safe. And let their work be effectual. All this we do pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.